You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. So I want to let you in behind the curtain a little bit when it comes to preaching. Preachers have a tendency to be creatures of habit and also have a tendency to be mockingbirds to a little bit of an extent. So what that means is you might find yourself in a certain rhythm where I'm preaching on a certain topic or certain things show themselves over and over again. I know for me, passages of scripture, I'll get in a rhythm where I feel like I'm quoting a certain passage of scripture over and over and over and over again from sermon to sermon to sermon. And sometimes you'll hear things and you'll hear something that a pastor says and you like it and you'll use it. And if you're you know, doing the right thing, you'll give some attribution there and whatnot. But sometimes you might just hear something in passing and you don't even realize that it's gotten in your brain and it just becomes something that flows from your mouth and you just say something because you heard it. Or preaching has a tendency sometimes to go viral. Even before the internet, pre- preaching and, and quotations from sermons have this unique ability to just ingrain themselves in language and in sermon texts all over the place. And that's especially true with this particular moment of the year. When we go into Holy Week, you get all kinds of phrases that just find themselves coming out of a variety of pastors' mouths to the point where you don't even really know where they initially originated. So think about something like on Good Friday saying, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And why would you not say that? That's a great line. That's really profound. And it encapsulates both the despair of the cross with the hope of the empty tomb. And so these things happen over and over and over again. And you'll find these rhythms and these quotations and these mockingbird elements kind of floating throughout sermons. And that happens on Good Friday with the the entire content of a sermon at times, where there is this one unique Palm Sunday kind of message. And it's rooted in the idea that the crowds that screamed Hosanna on Sunday were screaming crucify him on Friday. And now we'll get back to that idea in just a little bit. But I do want to think about the crowd here, because a lot of times in Palm Sunday messages, Because of that narrative that goes along with these crowds that are gathered proclaiming Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, we like to paint with a very broad brush over this crowd and oftentimes use them as a negative example. And I want to see if we can break that rhythm this morning, because there's something about this crowd that we desperately need to learn. Something that I think is oftentimes lost, particularly in modern Christianity. And that is the practice of crying Hosanna. And so this morning, we're going to focus on that, on learning to cry out Hosanna to God and what that means, but not only what that means for us as Christians, not only what that means for us as individual people, not only what that means for us as a church, but what that has the power to do in our community and in our world if God's people recapture their Hosanna. And so we're going to be in Matthew's gospel this morning, and we're going to read from chapter or from verse one, actually through verse 11. I wrote through verse 10, but we're going to go through verse 11 because that's important there. And this is the word of God. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, 
Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, we do ask your provision and your direction over your word, that it would be preached faithfully and that your Holy Spirit would take it and teach it to our hearts. And God, I just pray now that as we're in a season where it may feel easy to cry, God, save us because our circumstances are so difficult and unprecedented. God, I pray that you teach us to not just make this a practice when we feel out of control, but to realize that there's not a single moment of our lives when we are and that our salvation comes exclusively and totally from you. And that each and every morning, our need for Hosanna, our need for salvation is just as present as the day before. So God, we trust you and we thank you. And we just ask that you save us. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I mentioned these, these rhythms that come in sermon preparation and sermon writing. And what will happen a lot of times is something will become common in the sermon vernacular. Maybe it's a quotation, maybe it's an idea, maybe it's a topic, maybe it's an issue from a certain passage of scripture. One pastor will hear another pastor say it, who hear another pastor say it, and it starts to kind of move along. And sometimes it does a little bit like the telephone game where it starts to change its shape a little bit and starts to kind of lose touch with its original context. And it'll get to the point sometimes where even learned pastors who have been preaching for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years will find something leaving their mouths because it's been just part of, of the vernacular. It's been part of their understanding of just preaching and preaching language, and they won't really have any connection to its original context and won't go back to find out if this is actually something that's true or not. And so then you have another group of people who will go back to the passage of scripture. Someone will say, wait a minute, I need to find out where that's rooted. And they'll go back and they'll say, you know what? I don't see that here. And that's happened with this Palm Sunday sermon, this narrative of the people who cried Hosanna on Sunday were screaming crucify him on Friday. And so then what that turns into is there's blogs and sermons that are saying, well, actually, that's not this way. That's this way. And it gives into a back and forth sort of thing. But as I look through this passage of scripture, 
And looking at the gospel of John, looking at the gospel of Luke and, and these other tellings of this triumphal entry story, it's hard to really know for certain what the entirety of the crowd was doing. Is it possible that some of the people that were crying Hosanna on Sunday were crying crucify him on, on Friday? Sure, because people have a tendency to get caught up in mob mentality. There may be some people that are gathered around Jesus crying Hosanna that were doing it, not really even knowing what they were doing. And in the same way, there could have been people on Friday crying out crucify him, not really knowing what they're doing because we're creatures who just get swept up in the wave of, of mob mentality at times. And so it can be difficult to figure out what these people were doing from Sunday to Friday. But one thing that we can know for sure is where they were before Sunday. Look at verse seven through nine. Matthew says, they brought the donkey and the colt and put it on their cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And listen to verse nine. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. And then verse 10 says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. And so we have this idea and this understanding that these crowds are with Jesus before he enters into the city of Jerusalem. And so we know that before Sunday, these crowds, they were with Jesus. They had seen him perform miracles. They had heard him teach about the kingdom of God. Some of them had even felt his touch as they were being healed and comforted by the hands of the God that created the heavens and the earth. This wasn't a random group of Jerusalem folks. These were people that followed after Jesus. And so it comes as just a little bit of a surprise what they're crying out as they enter into Jerusalem, because this is clearly designed to be a procession. Jesus knows what he's doing here. Jesus knows the prophecy and Jesus knows what kind of statement it would make if he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so this is very premeditated for Jesus to claim this property or this prophecy about himself. And so you would think that this would almost look like some sort of scene from Aladdin when Alibaba comes in, or no, what was it? Prince Ali, that's his name, was coming into the city and there were the elephants and there was the genie dancing and all the things going on. And they were just singing his resume. Look at all the things that he's done. Look at all the things that he said. You can probably hear the music as it's going in your mind right now. And you can't see this, but Shane is dancing behind the camera and it's amazing. And so you would think they would come in just proclaiming all the things that Jesus has done. Look, this is Jesus who gave sight to the blind. This is Jesus who restored hearing to the deaf, who caused the lame to walk. He even caused the dead to rise. This is Jesus who teaches us about the kingdom of God. Come and look and witness who Jesus is. But that's not what they cry. They go into Jerusalem and they proclaim Hosanna, a phrase that means, oh, save Save us now. God, save us. They didn't come into Jerusalem proclaiming what Jesus had done. They went into Jerusalem proclaiming what Jesus was going to do. And sure, maybe they didn't know all the details. Maybe this all doesn't play out exactly like they expect. And that's why 
One thing we do know for sure is that these crowds weren't gathered around the cross. Only a few people stayed with Jesus as he breathed his last. And so certainly they didn't imagine that he was going to go in, even though he had prophesied this over and over again. They didn't imagine he was going to go into Jerusalem to die, but they did have an expectation there. They had experienced his love. They had seen his power and his healing. They knew Jesus and they knew that there was something more to come. There was an eager expectation that Christ was about to do something amazing. And this stands in such a stark contrast to the way we do Christianity. If you think about particularly a modern, mostly American understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be saved, it usually looks something like this. Step one, you got to find yourself either at rock bottom or really emotional. So maybe your circumstances change. Maybe you hit financial hardships. Maybe you hit a, a great low in the midst of your sin and your behavior and your conduct. And those, those consequences are growing and overwhelming. Maybe you experience great loss or great tragedy in your life. Maybe you find yourself lost and hopeless. Or maybe you have a particularly emotional experience. Maybe you have something that feels miraculous or something. Maybe you attend a church service on a whim and the pastor just speaks your language and you feel like he's speaking directly to you. Or there's something that just penetrates your heart and hits you on an emotional level. And so it brings you to that place where you feel either very low or very receptive. And so you want to follow after Jesus and you trust in Christ and you go through baptism. You join a church, you start going to church, you start living like a Christian and you find yourself learning how to walk. But then as time goes on, you start to feel stronger. Maybe your circumstances begins to turn and change. Maybe life begins to pick up or look normal. Maybe that emotional feeling begins to wear off. And it's not a conscious thought. It's almost never a conscious thought because you still follow Jesus. You still call yourself a Christian. You still look back at your testimony and you say, look, look what God has done. Look at God. I love JC. He led me here. He, he rescued me out of the pit. And now look, I'm able to stand on my own two feet. And a lot of times our desire is to move into a place of independence where we can look at how God saved us and then really admire how far we've come. But that's not Christianity. That's not what it means to be saved by God. You see, to really understand the gospel is a recognition that every moment from salvation until death, every breath that we take is a reminder of our need for salvation. Every breath that we have, every moment that we walk with Christ is a reminder of our need for Hosanna, our need to cry out, God, save me. No matter how long I've walked down this path, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. None of my works can, can near come to what you require of me. And so each and every day, because I am wrecked with sin and burdened by temptation, God, save me. I wrote this sermon several weeks ago, actually. And it's amazing how things change because I wrote in here, when is the last time you cried Hosanna? And there's a really good chance 
that it hasn't been so long for most of you. As we experience a world that is turning on its head, as we are living out a normal that is unprecedented and bizarre, as some people are experiencing loss financially, loss in their health, loss of loved ones, loss of life, there's probably been a lot of God save us cried out recently. And maybe you felt that longing and that desperation for God to step in and intervene. But I wonder if we were to rewind to February 1st or November of 2019, when was the last time we cried Hosanna then? When's the last time that life has been good and that work has been strong? Maybe finances have been good. Health has been good. And you still find yourself on your face crying Hosanna. You know, any circumstance in any season can teach us and guide us and shape us. And so maybe you're feeling a particular level of desperation because of all the effects of this virus and the way that it's changed and shaped our world. As you feel that desperation now, recognizing that only God can intervene in this circumstance, I want you to take that feeling Take that knowledge, take that understanding and hold on tightly to it because chances are we will come out of this and there will be some changes, but at the end of the day, it's entirely possible that just like in any other season of, of widespread epidemic or pandemic or violence or whatever the case is, life eventually returns to something that feels somewhat normal. And when it does, your need for the gospel doesn't change. Your need for salvation doesn't change. Your need for Hosanna doesn't change. And so what better time than now to practice that desperation for God, to practice that longing for salvation from God, both in the hard times and in the good. We need to look at the example of these crowds surrounding Jesus who were in his presence and still all they could cry out as he rode into Jerusalem was God save us and let's be the same kind of people. A kind of people that no matter how close we may feel, no matter how much life may be moving in our direction, that we recognize our only hope for salvation is Christ and cry out Hosanna day after day after day. And what's amazing about that is that if we're faithful to do that, if we're faithful to learn to cry Hosanna, we see that there are direct effects, not just for ourselves personally, but for the world around us when God's people cry Hosanna. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. So the people are crying out, Jesus is riding in on the donkey and it says, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, we make evangelism, this idea of sharing your faith, of, of communicating the gospel to people. We make it, so stinking complicated. 
We have classes, we have programs, there are apps that will help with it, there are YouTube videos that help you with that. Denominations put together entire conferences around this idea of teaching people how to share their faith. We have gospel tracts, we have little cubes that you can make pictures out of and do all sorts of things. We learn things that you can draw on napkins to be able to communicate effectively the message of the gospel. But when we look at this passage of scripture here, These people had no formal training. Jesus didn't sit them down before they rode into Jerusalem and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how you explain the gospel. Here's a chart that you can use to take someone from salvation to conversion, to baptism, to discipleship. He wasn't going through any greater process or any greater program. These people who had no training tracks or cubes had simply been with Jesus And because of that, they couldn't help but shout about it. They had been with Christ and they couldn't help but make that proclamation. And because of their Hosanna, because of what they were crying out, when the people said, what's going on? Who is this? They're like, obviously it's Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. A really dangerous thing happens when we lose our Hosanna, when we start to feel like we're able to walk on our own two feet, independent from Christ, and that salvation is something that Jesus gave us so that we could better ourselves or get ourselves to a place of security. When we lose our Hosanna, it ultimately results in losing our ability to witness. I mean, sure, you can tell people about the gospel. Sure, you can read through passages of scripture with people. Yeah, you can go through a track or you can go through some sort of process. But if we lose our Hosanna, we really lose our ability to effectively tell people about Christ because we can't declare something that we aren't intimately and actively aware of. If I've forgotten that I daily need the grace and mercy of God, If I have forgotten that my salvation comes by faith through grace from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that he is the one who not only saved me, but is actively saving me each and every day. If I forget all of that, I cannot possibly imagine being able to communicate that to someone efficiently and effectively. But when our lives declare Hosanna, When our lives declare, God, save me. When we have a complete and a total dependence on the God of salvation through Jesus, then all of a sudden our lips can't contain it. All of a sudden we are going to proclaim the gospel everywhere because we are going to be immersed in it, living in it, thinking about it day after day, grateful for the grace and mercy of God, but also expectant of the fullness of our salvation when Christ returns to make everything right and everything new. And so as we integrate this idea of Hosanna into our lives, I assure you that we will be much better evangelists. And the other effect of that is that when God's people declare his gospel in that kind of a way, people notice. The crowds didn't have to go individual to individual. There were people coming to them saying, who is this? 
Who is this that you're shouting about? Who is this that you're laying down your cloak and your lives for? Who is this that you were so excited about? And the people were able to respond with, this is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. We need to learn to become a Hosanna people. Individuals who recognize that our only hope and salvation is Christ Jesus. And that that's the same from the moment we first trust in Christ through each and every moment and every breath of our lives. But not only that, we need to learn to become a Hosanna church. Not a church that shows people that we've learned how to be good church people. Not a church that shows that we've learned all the intricacies of theology and all the intricacies of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't want to show people that we've learned how to be a church that can sustain itself and that we've built such an infrastructure and we built such an organization that we have this impeccable picture of what it means to be a church. But we need to be a church who declares to the world that we have nothing but Christ and Christ is all we need. We need to be a church that daily cries out, God, save us individually and as a people. We need to be a church that cries Hosanna and then to trust that when we do, that God through his Holy Spirit is going to draw people to himself through his church and we will see people saved and baptized and walking in faith, not to become independent, self-sustaining Christians and church members, but to be people who desperately rely on the grace of Jesus every single day. You know, it's funny when you look at Luke's telling of this triumphal entry, we find out that it's not just the city folk who are the ones who respond. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 38, actually, let me go to verse 37. It says, he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples. Again, that's so important. The multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the crowd said to Jesus, listen to what they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They said, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. This isn't becoming. This is unnecessary. This is obscene. This is vulgar. Tell them to stop crying out these things. And in verse 40, Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And that's what's amazing about all this. God doesn't actually need our Hosanna. Jesus said, if the people were silent, the rocks would cry out. Creation itself is going to declare his glory. Creation itself is going to scream out for the salvation of God. Paul says that in Romans 8. He says that all of creation is groaning, is longing for the restoration of all things because our sin has broken even the world itself. And so if not us, it's going to be creation that declares God's praise and God's glory. But why? Why would we want to let creation cry out a song that's been given specifically to us? 
We saw that in the book of Revelation that we're able to sing a song that no other being in the universe is able to sing because we know what it means to be fallen and broken because of sin, to cry out Hosanna to God and to be redeemed and restored by him. And so no matter what the opposition may be, no matter how difficult it may be, because yeah, it's a little bit harder to share our faith in a world where we have to be minimum six feet apart in groups of 10 or less and are mostly relegated to our homes. But we still don't have permission to be silent. And so let's learn to cry Hosanna in our prayer lives, in our worship lives, in our liturgies, in our confessions. Let's cry Hosanna in our Bible studies and in our church services. Let's cry Hosanna on our Instagram or Facebook. Let's cry Hosanna through our text messages and phone calls and FaceTimes. Let's put on display the salvation that comes only from Jesus Christ. As we approach Good Friday, we are heavily aware of the cost of our sin and the fact that we can't repay it. So whether you've been following after Jesus for one minute, one year, or 50 years, each and every day, your only hope of salvation is Christ. So let's be a Hosanna people. Let's be a Hosanna church. And let that Hosanna echo through our media, through our city, through our state, and through our world. And ask that through that, that God would use our Hosanna to bring salvation into the lives of those around us who desperately need the salvation of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, Hosanna, save us, save me. From our weakness, from our sin, from our pride, from our self-righteousness, save us. From our hardships and our sickness, from our shame and our pain, our anxiety, our depression, save us. From the effects of sin in our broken world, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. God, we confess the times when we think that we've arrived, when we think that we can stand on our own two feet. God, help us to daily fall into your grace and rest in your salvation. And God, we ask that as we put our complete and total dependence on you, that our Hosanna would echo through our community, our state and our world, and that you would save people by your grace and mercy through it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.